Uh, welcome. This is week two. Just for my recording, it's October 25th. Um, for those that were not here last week, um, so let's back up a little bit and tell everybody what we learned last week about Luke. So go ahead. It was detail-oriented. It was detail-oriented. Okay. He was a sequel. Okay, Luke is the only book in the Bible with a true sequel. He's a Gentile. He's a, he's a Gentile. 27% of He's a physician. He wrote 27% of the New Testament. He, he was a physician. He what was, else? He wasn't there. He wasn't there. That's kind of interesting. He never he met Jesus. Wrote a gospel, never met Jesus. Okay, what else? He said a physician. Yeah. He was a good recorder. Good recorder, particularly of details. Okay. Where did he get his information from if he never met Jesus? First hand sources. First hand sources. And who would those sources be? Paul. Paul in particular, because he traveled with him, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Remember we learned that he joined Paul in the second missionary journey, was left at Philippi for a while to lead, and then joined Paul again in the third journey, and stayed with Paul all the way through Rome and was the only person present when Paul was was basically uh, killed. So he stayed with Paul all the way through uh, the uh, uh, series in Rome. Okay, so Luke is writing to who? Theophilus. Theophilus. And who's Theophilus? We don't know. No idea. Okay. Probably a a leader, uh, a Greek leader. Um, And so Luke sets out, and what does he say his purpose is in writing these things? Yeah, he's going to set things in order. In other words, you got to remember that soon after Jesus, okay, the way this works was when the disciples were around, nobody wrote anything down. Okay, because when Jesus said he's coming back, they thought he's coming back. I mean, they thought like next week, next week, maybe today. Uh, he'll be gone. He'll be right back. So they didn't think about it at all about writing anything down. There wasn't anything to write down. People were talking about what Jesus did. They were sharing stories about what he did. But then you start getting into like. 45, 50, 55 AD, Jesus has been gone now for 15 or 20 years, and they're starting to look around going, okay, um, we might want to start writing things down because the disciples are being martyred. Okay, and so they had a concern that the eyewitnesses of Jesus were being martyred for their belief, and Jesus wasn't back yet. And so you see them begin to write. We said the first book written was probably Mark. Soon followed by Matthew. It was probably around 50 to 55 A.D. We know that Luke probably wrote around 63, 62. Um, and we know that because 64 is when Nero started started uh, torturing Christians. And he doesn't mention that. And 70 is when the temple fell, and he doesn't mention that. Although he does prophesy that it, it is going to fall. So we date that his books around 62, 64 A.D. Okay. So they're beginning to realize that they need to write some stuff down. Now, the other thing that's happening is a lot of people are writing stupid stuff. And they're making up stuff um, for various reasons. They're writing to say they were somewhere they weren't. They were an integral person in the ministry, and they weren't. Uh, They they were speculating on what Jesus did uh, in the first 30 years of his life when he went to Egypt and all that kind of stuff. And so there's all these books out there that are now starting to come forward and there's they're questionable at best uh, they don't make it into the canon of scripture we can talk about that later but what he says in the way way he starts out in chapter one he says inasmuch as many have undertaken 
to compile a narrative. In other words, he's like, look, a lot of people are trying to write down what happened. But Luke realized he was in a unique position. Okay, He had access to all the players. Mary, John, Jay, he had access to everybody. And he was with them for quite a while. And he knew the story and he knew the details. And he probably knew immediately what was junk and what wasn't when people were writing. So he says, look, uh, many have tried to compile a narrative. Um, and uh, many were eyewitnesses and minister the words, and they've written some, Matthew and, and uh, Mark. So now the, he's like, but I'm going to write an orderly account of what really happened. And the beauty of Luke and Acts is you start out with the birth of John the Baptist, and you go all the way through to Paul's uh, death in Acts. That's the entire story of the early church, Jesus, the ministries, and Luke is very detailed as a writer. It's just amazing to see the little details that he mentions. We're going to see that next week when we start looking at the nativity story, uh, and I'm going to sort of shock you guys a little bit about what you've always thought the nativity story is about, um, and some things that are on Christmas cards that have been for years that have nothing to do with what's in the scriptures. So uh, we'll go into that a little bit. So now let me ask you this. Okay, so imagine you're Luke and you're writing to Theophilus and you've witnessed everything and you have seen everything. Where do you start? And why would you start there? Do you start with Jesus' birth? Do you start with his crucifixion? Do you start with, I don't know, what, what, how would you decide to start? And what would be the purpose of choosing a place to start? Jesus when John jumped in the belly. Okay. All right. So he starts with start at the beginning. Okay, he starts at the beginning. The beginning of what exactly? He has to prove David's line. Okay. What's unique about he's gonna talk about John the Baptist first. What's unique about John the Baptist? True of John the Baptist is not true of any other human to this point. He was prophesied about. He was prophesied about, but he had something unique about him. He ate locusts. Yes, that's unique, but that's not it. <laughs> he ate locusts. What's, what, but what was different about John the Baptist? Was he the only one who received the Holy Spirit yes. in the womb? Yes, he had the Holy Spirit in the womb. Nobody done that before. And you got to remember that the story of, of the Bible is God's Spirit present in the garden, Sin, God's exit from the garden, the kingdom of heaven is gone, and the promise that the kingdom of heaven will return. What's the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven? The Spirit of God is now back on earth. Okay? Who manifested the Spirit of God back on earth? John the Baptist. Okay? Why did Luke choose John the Baptist's birth to begin the story? Because that's where the story begins. He's the first to manifest the Spirit of God in a man, again, since Adam. Now, in the, in the Old Testament, people had the Spirit of God on them for a while, Saul and David and others, and at times it was pulled away from them. But to have it in the womb, to be born uh, in the Spirit. Now, notice, he's not born of the Spirit. Okay, When is the Spirit given to him? This is critical. When is it given to him? We're going to read it in a minute. In the womb. Okay, He wasn't born of the Spirit, which Jesus was. He's born, and in the womb he receives the Spirit. That tells us a lot about life when it starts, what God thinks about life, and when he thinks life begins. 
Uh, so we'll get into that a little bit. But let's read our passage today. We're going to start in um, verse 5. And I'm going to read it so that we get it on the recording for those that will be hearing this later. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he'll be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which are fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his service... Uh, time was ended he went to his home after these days wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying thus says the Lord or thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among the people okay so that's what we're going to look at tonight notice that Luke places this moment in a very specific time in history okay one of the things that validates the Bible as a source of history and a source of authenticity is the tagging of moments with specific people that can be traced. So first thing he says is in the days of Herod. What do we know about Herod? He was a king. He was a king? He was evil. Evil. Why, why was he evil? What did he do? Killed the babies. All right, he killed the babies in Bethlehem. What else did he do? He killed everybody. He killed his wife, his children. Anybody that opposed him, he killed them. Um, and um, he was uh, a pretty horrible leader. Okay? Now, that brings us to understand, okay, what else do we know about Herod? Well, Herod was basically um, the king, uh, at least of this area. He was not just Judea, but he was also... Um, in charge of um, Samaria, uh, Israel, the whole area, pretty much. And he himself is a descendant of Esau, okay? Um, which is interesting. Uh, he's an Edomite, for the most part. And he comes from a curse line, and here he is. Um, 
acting as he's supposed to. Now, um, he's known for cruelty. He killed members of his own family. Um, and he, um, he really uh, ruled from about 37 B.C. to 4 B.C., okay, roughly. He liked to be called king. Um, he, um, uh, he killed anybody that he thought was a threat to his power. Anybody that he thought was a problem, he killed him. However, he had a very unique gift, and his gift was he could really build. And he built everything. Um, Herod's temple, Herod's palace. I mean, all throughout Israel, all you see is Herod, Herod, Herod. That dude was a builder. He didn't build. He just brought people into slavery made them build. But he built incredible things, including the temple. Okay? Now, you might think it's odd that Herod uh, would build the Jewish temple, but he had all kinds of ulterior motives for doing so. So we'll look at those maybe later. So we know it's during the time of Herod. Uh, and we know that there's now we're introducing a priest named Zechariah, okay, and the division of Abja. Okay, now he he also tells us he has a wife from Aaron. Okay, so this is a, why does he mention those things? Why does he tell us his lineage? What do you think? Well, the obvious is it matters. He's the Jew of the Jews. Right. I mean, this is a priest who's got street cred. His wife descends from Aaron. These two, if there's anybody that should have children and have big families and be in God's blessing, it's these two. Okay? And he is a priest. How many priests were there, roughly, in Jesus' time? About 20,000. Okay? Not five, not ten, about 20,000. Okay? Now, they rotated uh, according to Chronicles. If you want to read about that, there were 24 divisions. And they would rotate, serving a week at a time, twice a year. Okay? And all of them were present for the major feasts, particularly the pilgrimage feasts. Okay? So they had this um, time when they would serve in the temple for a, a, about um, a week. Well, exactly a week. And it's interesting that most of the priests were poor. Um, you know, we read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's not who these people were. These people were faithfully serving God in and out of the temple over and over. Most of them lived in Jericho, okay? And the reason was Jericho was near Jerusalem. They could get up there if they needed to. Uh, it was safer uh, for them because it was cheaper. And Jericho was kind of the place where the priests lived near Jerusalem where they could go up the road. That's why in the story of the Samaritan who's injured, it's not unusual to see a priest going up and down the road from Jericho to Jerusalem, okay? And so they would go up for a week, they'd serve in the temple, and then they would uh, return. And during that week, they lived in a house, uh, an Airbnb, uh, <laughs> near the temple uh, that has been uncovered, and uh, it's kind of interesting to look at. And so they would serve a week at a time. Only one of them, two of them a day, would be chosen by lot to be able to burn incense inside the holy place, Okay. It was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, okay? This is his Super Bowl. I mean, as a priest to be chosen to go burn incense, this is, like, huge for him. Um, many never have that experience. No doubt he likely interviewed other people that had done it. Uh, he wanted to know what it was like. But basically the way it works uh, is um, there are three priests. One has been uh, determined to light the incense. One prepares the coal. One brings the incense. At the hour of incense, which is in the morning and at night, 
or evening, um, there's a time when they are to light the incense. Now that's following the commands of God, uh, I think in uh, Exodus. I don't remember the exact date. But anyway, they have every day they're to burn incense. What does incense represent? Prayer. 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 How do we know that? It says somewhere in the Bible. Psalm 141.2 talks about how our prayers are lifted up as incense. In Revelation chapter 5, Jesus talks about the prayers of the saints being uh, incense. Okay, so notice in the Bible, when you study the Bible, everything is symbolic and everything has meaning. Okay, Zechariah is going into the Holy of Holies to burn incense. For what purpose? To lift prayers up to God. What happens while he's there? Gabriel. Gabriel announces, I'm answering your prayer. Okay? Okay, it's, it's not just random. It's like, oh, okay. It's unlikely that Zechariah was in the Holy of Holies praying for his own issues. That would be very, very unusual and probably not in accordance with what priests do. When they're inside the Holy of Holies, they're praying for Israel. They're praying for the Messiah to come and they're praying for the nation to turn its ways towards God. Okay? So he's in the Holy of Holies. It's his moment. So what happens is all three of them go into the Holy of Holies. Uh, the person with the charcoal and the, the altar of incense is about, well, it's not, it's exactly three feet tall, 16 inch squares. I think it's about 16, maybe 18 of, of gold. Okay, so it's just this like plate, okay, on a stand. And to the left of it, I think, is the, uh, the light, the candles, um, the uh, lampstand, and to the right is the showbread. Okay, so those are the things. And then there's a curtain, and behind the curtain is the Holy of Holies. Okay, so if you walked into this room, there'd be three things here, and behind that curtain would be the Holy of Holies. Inside the Holy of Holies, only one person goes there once a year. It's the high priest. Uh, he goes on uh, the high holy day um, and uh, atones for the sins of the entire nation. Okay, uh, only the high priest gets that honor. Okay, but for a priest like Zechariah, to get into this room is huge. And to be the one that burns the incense, that's even more. Because what happens is they all three go in. The, the one with the coals leaves the coals on the uh, altar. That's his job. He just leaves burning coals there. And then the other one on his right brings the actual incense. And then they leave and Zechariah is in there by himself. Okay. And his job is to mix the two and burn the incense. Okay. Now, he, every time every day that he's been in jerusalem at the temple he's been outside praying during these two times right i mean everybody's outside praying during this time uh, they're lighting the incense so you know now all of a sudden he's inside now we learn about he and his wife that they are very religious very devout uh but they're not sinless they're not perfect uh but the reason they why do you think they mention that these two are walk with God, follow God. What would be reasons to mention that? They're keeping the law. They're keeping the law. Okay. What else? It's a segue into Jesus coming. Okay. It's a segue into Jesus coming. Because they didn't have children, which probably would have been unusual. And okay. people would have considered Yeah. Basically, Luke's bringing up, look, the reason they don't have is not because they've done something wrong. Okay. which we know from other passages in the Bible was a common thought. Uh, and notice here that the woman is the one that's barren, not the man. Interesting, right? So 
um, and that the woman who can't bear children considers it a reproach. Okay, and they think God has closed their womb. Why? Because throughout Scripture, He does. Okay, uh, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, so, not having children when you're that age can really start to bring you, as a woman, into question about your relationship with God. Hannah uh, had issues with this. Um, there are a lot of people who really struggled with being barren. Um, so you have this sort of story that's unfolding. And Elijah is in the Holy of Holies. Um, he's been chosen by Lot to be there. He's burning the incense. We don't know whether it's day or morning or night, I don't think, but uh, most people presume it was morning. I don't, it might be somewhere else. Um, and he's basically there praying. Now, you got to think about, this is like, I mean, that curtain's right there. He's like, I mean, this is big for him. Now, you don't get this. Oh, he just went in to burn incense. This is huge. He'd never seen the curtain before. He'd never seen the walls inside of there before. We have no mention that he's ever the, the uh, coal burner or the incense carrier. That's never been mentioned. The chances are pretty slim. Uh, and not only does he choose his lot, he gets to actually burn the incense. He's in there by himself. He could decide to go into the Holy of Holies. Bad choice. He dropped dead, but he could decide that. Uh, but he's in there, and he's trying to figure out, okay, and he's praying. And my bet is, you know, he's been practicing this prayer for a long time. You know, he's actually there praying for the people of Israel, praying for the Messiah to come, praying for all this stuff. I mean, he's like, this is not some half-hearted, you know, prayer. And while he's praying, he looks up, and there's an angel there. Okay, not just any angel. Okay, it's not it's not a naked baby with wings. You know, it, I mean it, it's I mean you're talking Gabriel. You know, you're talking big guy. You're talking angel of angels. Uh, Michael and Gabriel, those are the two biggies. And he knew that because Gabriel had appeared to other people uh, in the uh, Old Testament. So all of a sudden, this angel's there. Okay, and the angel tells him, "Fear not," and that's always too late. Um, every time I'm sure he's like freaking out um, but they always say it which I always find interesting um, and um, he's gripped with fear and note that he's gripped with fear in the presence of an angel and he's a righteous man imagine what it would be like if you weren't um, he knows he's in good standing with God he's been following the commandments he knows he's obeying them he's doing what he's supposed to do but yet when the angel shows up He's like gripped with fear. Um, and the angel tells him, your prayers have been heard. Okay? Your prayers have been heard. What, what prayer do you think he's been praying? For a baby. For a baby. When do you think the last time he prayed for that was? Maybe 20 years ago. Probably a long time. Okay? Because he and his wife are barren and they're both old in age. Okay? They've given up on God's ability to do that or desire to do that. And I think it represents many of us. We get to a point where we're like, I've been praying and praying, and it hasn't happened, so maybe it's just my lot. Maybe I'm just supposed to uh, deal with it. Yes, ma'am? If, if, if he's in this room and he's supposed to be praying for Israel and Gabriel shows up and says your prayers have been answered, I, I guess I'm thinking my first thought would have been the prayers that I'm currently praying. Good answer. And, and the answer and is yes. Instead is, of the ones that I had forgotten. What's he praying for? 
Israel. The redemption of Israel and, and the coming of the Messiah. The arrival of the Messiah. And, and those things are happening. Both are happening. Yes. Also. So his so prayers so, in them. So he's getting all his prayers. Yes. He's getting all of them. And that's an important thing to recognize is Israel is being redeemed. The Messiah is coming. Okay. And by the way, you're going to have a child who plays a role in this. Okay. So it's like a home run slobber knocker kind of thing. I mean, it's like, whoa. Okay, now um, he um, leaves you speechless. Absolutely, and um, he he you know he prayed for the child to be born, just like others did. Isaac, Rachel, Hannah, they all prayed for children, and God answered their prayers. Okay, so um, he says you're going to name him John. Okay, so now he knows he's having a boy. That was news to him. Um, he's having a boy. Why is that important? It's the dream of every Jewish woman to give birth to the Messiah, right? Right. But it is important. Um, and you're going to name him John. Okay, now what's weird about that is we learn later that nobody in his family is named John. Right. So that's unusual. What does John mean? Grace of Jehovah. Yahweh has been gracious, or God's grace. Okay? So God is gracious to you. Okay? Now, um, this is the first time John is mentioned in Scripture, obviously. Um, and he'll be mentioned quite a bit as we go forward because he's the forerunner of, of Jesus. And he's mentioned in all four Gospels by all four writers, uh, including his death. So um, now, um, what does he tell them about John? Let's go back and actually look and see what he says. He says, uh, they had no child. Now, while he was serving, the priest shows up, um, enter the Holy of Holies, and um, hold on. Zechariah freaked out. Don't be afraid. Your wife will deliver you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Okay? Um, do they? I would say so. Okay. They were happy for Well, I'm sure her friends did, and her family did, and her family and friends. Okay. I mean, we have to assume they did. What's not in Scripture? John's birth. Okay, much like contrast to Jesus' birth. Okay, but the angel says it. It's going to happen. Okay, um, and then he tells him some things about what he can and can't do. Show hands of how many people here are glad rejoice that John is born. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's important. So, so it's true. It is true, and John is the forerunner. We're going to talk about that quite a bit. Okay? So he says... Um, no strong drink. He says no strong drink. Okay? And... Um, or wine. All right? And that's kind of a Nazarite vow. Um, it means this child's going to be set apart, uh, protect him from the beginning. He's got a special role for God. Okay? In addition, he then drops the bomb on him. He's going to have the Holy Spirit in him in the womb. Okay? So now this is a very unique man who's going to have a lot of spiritual power from the beginning, okay? And he will be great before the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. And then he says this weird thing, verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. 
Okay, what in the world is he talking about? He'll go before him in the spirit of Elijah. He'll turn children of Israel to the Lord their God. Do you know what he's saying here? When you don't know what somebody's saying, but it seems to have a lot of words to it. Okay. In other words, these don't seem random. There's a good chance that they're quoting scripture from somewhere else. Okay. So it's important because in the Bible, they didn't have, did you read Malachi chapter four, verse five? There were no verses. So they would actually quote the scripture. So go to your Bible and find the last thing written in the Old Testament. Malachi. And somebody's going to read it out loud for us. So you want to read it? You ready? He will restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Who's he? Go back. Elijah. Elijah. The prophet. Okay. Before the coming of the great peril. Okay, so go back to, start with before the, go back and read it a little bit more and tell us who we're talking about. Before the Malachi, go back to like verse one or two. He's talking about Elijah, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so verse, chapter four, verse, is it four? Malachi? Yes. Start on one. And remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances which I have commanded him from Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore. Okay. So what what God is saying is, okay, obey the law. And before the great and terrible, before the end, I'm going to send Elijah. Okay. Now that's the last thing they heard from God for 450 years. Okay? Think about that for a minute. The Old Testament, that's, there's no evidence in the intertestinal period that God spoke or did anything. So the fact that an angel appears and begins to speak of the Spirit coming back, that's huge. It's been quiet for them for 400 years. They thought they'd lost it. They thought God had given up on them. They thought that they had basically ruin their chances of, of um, uh, receiving a Messiah because 400 years that's older than the U.S. has been around Okay, so that's a long time to not hear from God when God was present everywhere in the Old Testament all the time and then all of a sudden you have silence and the last thing he says is I'll send Elijah Okay, now Gabriel the angel says hey here comes one like Elijah who's going to, and if you look at Malachi, he talks about turning the hearts, right? So what they're referencing is, okay, we're picking up the story where it left off. Okay? And the one like Elijah, Jesus will tell us later, is John the Baptist. Right? Jesus will tell us later, you know, if you can handle it, John the Baptist is the Elijah that's to come. Okay? So all that ties together. And, And like I said, in the Bible, nothing's random. There's always a reason. There's always a purpose. And often, you know, because the Jewish people knew the scriptures so well, you know, it's sort of like like we know rock songs, right? I mean, all I got to do is say the first three words of a rock song and everybody finishes it. Well, to a Jewish person, all you got to do is say three or four words of scripture and they know where you're talking about. Okay, for instance, Jesus on the cross says, um, uh, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Um, and then he says, um, the, um, let me see, which one do I want to use? Because he says two. Um, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Okay, and people say, oh, well, he's feeling the weight of sin. He's in darkness. God's got his back to him, whatever. That's not what's happening there. He's quoting Psalm 24. Basic, huh? Which one is it? Psalm? Okay, and it starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he describes the exact scene that he's going through. They're casting lots. They're circling me. They're devouring me. They're, I mean, what he's telling everybody is go back and read Psalm 22. Go back and read Psalm 22 because it's happening right now in front of you. Yeah. Okay. Now, he didn't say Psalm 22. He quoted the first few words of it, and they would go, oh, okay. Anybody got Psalm 22 nearby? What does it say? Uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Keep far going. From, far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cried by day. But you do not answer by night, that I have no rest. Keep going. Yet you are holy, O you who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel. And you are fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. And you they trusted and were not disappointed. Keep going. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who, sneer, all who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lift. They wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in him. Yet you are he who brought me forth from the womb. You made me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me. Okay. Keep going. A ravening, ravening, and a roaring lion, and poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. And you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me, a band of evil doors has encompassed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. Bingo. Okay, so Jesus from the cross is preaching. What he's saying is, pay attention because what was prophesied in Psalm 22 is being played out right now in front of you. Okay, and so what happens is he didn't say Psalm 22 because it wasn't numbered. He just quoted the first few lines. Okay, and so when you're reading scripture and you see something that looks like there's some thought to it, turn the hearts of the children from whatever, just do a quick search and see if it's anywhere else in the Bible because there's a good chance that it is. Okay, so we've linked what Malachi said to now what's happening. Okay, so in less than a few words, uh, Luke has connected the Old Testament, Elijah to come with this birth of this child. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, now he goes on and Zechariah says, what does he say? Dude, I'm an old man. How is this going to happen? Okay, now notice that his response is not very different than um, Isaac's, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, they were laughing at the angel, right? Uh, now, Mary had the great response. Okay. Abraham and Sarah. I'm sorry, Abraham. Sarah yeah, they were laughing. What did I say? I, Abraham. So Isaac means laughing. They're, they're laughing because the angel says they're going to have a baby. Okay, now you've got this other old couple. They're laughing in a way. Only he's going, how can this happen? Okay. He's in the holy place talking to angels and he's asking, okay, well, how does this happen exactly? Okay, he didn't believe, or at least he thought it was too 
I mean, I can understand. He thought it was too wild to be true. And he's got to go explain it to his wife. Um, And so that's kind of interesting. And so he says, um, you know, I'm old in years. How does this happen? Okay. Notice what Gabriel tells him. I think this is funny. Gabriel tells him, I stand in the presence of God. I'm Gabriel. I'm down here in the holy place telling you what's going to happen and you're asking me stupid questions. I mean, that's really what's going on here. He's like, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I came here to deliver good news to you and you're not acting like it's good news. You're acting kind of weird. Um, And he says, you're going to be silent and you will not speak until these things take place. Notice he doesn't stop them. He doesn't tell him because of your lack of faith, it's not going to happen. He just says, dude, you're going to be silent. Um, now think about that for a minute. What's crazy about being silent? What, why is that such a great punishment? Because this is the best news of his life. It's the best news of anybody's life. He knows inside that area that the whole world is about to change. The Messiah is coming. Israel's being redeemed. He has the news of all news, and he can't speak. And he can't tell any of his now, the other thing is, uh, the same word often will mean deafness and muteness, but at least here we use mute, um, but he can't do anything about it, okay? And he's going to try, we're going to learn in a minute, he's going to try to use hand signals, you know, charades or whatever, try to get everybody to understand, you know, what angel big, you know. Um, but, um, and so the people are waiting for Zechariah, and they're wondering why he's in there so long, right? Because, I mean, this shouldn't take this long. Um, and when he came out, he can't speak to them. Now, the problem is there's something he's supposed to do that requires that he speak. Okay? So when you come out of the um, prayer time, the incense time, okay, um, you come out and you have something as a priest you're supposed to say. And so what you're supposed to do is, um, uh, let's see here, is that correct? Uh, nope, it's up here. Um, uh, let me just say a couple things. Um, in response to Gabriel, he says, uh, I stand in the presence and speak for God to tell you good news. All right. We mentioned last time that John or Luke is the one that uses good news over and over and over. Okay, he uses it 10 to 15 times in his gospel, and it's only used one other place in the Bible outside of his gospel. Okay, so he's, he's the good news guy. Um, and he uses it 15 times in Acts. So it's sort of his catchphrase. This is good news. Uh, and the angel, he, he says, repeats that. Uh, now, when he comes out, he's supposed to quote... Why do I not have that here? Um... Okay, hold on. Maybe it's up here. Um, Yeah, so um, let me just find it. He comes out. People are gathered outside. Uh, The other two priests go in. They're burning coal. Incense comes. um, And, um, yeah. So generally he would go in and he would pray for... um, Israel, the, the angel comes. I'm looking for the scripture, so that's why I'm sort of st- stalling here. Um, now, remember that Zechariah has been told that the two greatest desires of his heart have just been met by God. 
he gets a child and the Messiah is coming. The only way he could get better would be if his child was the Messiah. Okay? Does he know that, by the way? Yes, because he's he's going as it says it's going as a for, forerunner. Okay. Right? Yeah, he would also Right. So he knows that his son is not the Messiah. Okay? Now Elijah, he says he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. What was Elias, Elijah's Super Bowl? I thought it was the showdown. The showdown at <laughs> Carmel. Carmel. Right? That's his Super Bowl. Um, he basically um, um, he has a showdown with all the 450 Baal worshipers, right? So in that spirit, this John the Baptist dude is not going to back down to anybody. Okay? I mean, he's coming in the spirit of Elijah. Uh, what's unique about Elijah? Elijah was taken up in the chariot of fire. He didn't die. Okay, Elijah was taken up in the chariot, right? Um, and so um, we learned um, that and then so now he's coming out I found it um, the custom was he'd come out of the temple as soon as he's finished praying to assure the people that he hasn't been struck dead by God okay why would they think he might be struck dead by God because he took too long because he took too long right if he doesn't come out they got to figure out what do we do now sinful <laughs> Is it a different one where they tie a rope on it and with a belt? Yeah. yeah, that's the Holy of Holies. Was he supposed to go? He wasn't no, but what if he did? He'd be dead and they'd be outside praying, wondering when he's coming out, right? They have to know he's dead first, right? So he's in there longer than most priests are in there. So they're starting to get concerned, right? And um, he comes out. And uh, he's supposed to read a blessing to them. He's supposed to come out to the steps, raise his hands. Well, basically, he comes out. The other two priests come alongside of him at the door. They come in front of the people who are praying. And then they raise their hands and they give a blessing. And the blessing is number 6, 24 through 26. One that we know well. I'll just read it to you. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. That yep. So that's what he's supposed to say when he comes out. What does he not do? Can't speak. Dude can't speak, right? So he's trying to mimic to them or let them know that he cannot speak. And they realize he's had a vision. Something's happened to him. Uh, we would say he's had a stroke. Uh, but it's like something happened. Um, and the people gathered were supposed to respond by saying, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Okay, and as soon as they did that, then the morning worshipers, the singers, uh, the uh, musicians would start playing. The priests would strike a cymbal. The choir of Levites began to sing the psalm of the day, um, and uh, they would sing. But he came out and he couldn't speak. And so, uh, good chance that the other priests finally figured out something and did it for him. Okay, now it's interesting that you would think he'd be done, right? I mean can't speak it's been a long day it's been a long week um uh and then it says that um he kept making signs to them he remains mute and when his time of service was ended he went to his home 
He stayed there and did his responsibilities, even though he couldn't speak. Okay? And now he's going home. Okay? My guess is there's a very interesting conversation on the way home. Um, or obviously happened earlier. Okay? But this couple who'd given up on having a child now have to start trying to have a child. Um, and, um, you know, so and think about Elizabeth. Um, she didn't witness the angel, right? I mean, at least Mary sees the angel. Mary got, okay, this is, for all she knows, her husband's nuts. Um, well, would she have traveled with him? She, she probably would have stayed home during that week. Um, but, I mean, you would think she would think he was nuts, except he's a man of God and they, he's a priest and, you know, so the news is... That, that serious um, yeah. life, that make it up, why would you do that? Yeah, or he's totally gone psychotic. Um, <laughs> and that's always possible, too. Uh, or he's... Well, uh, he... Uh, yeah. So, See, so she might not have even known he was picked to be innocent. She would have known that because the lots are done early, right. and it's such an honor. The reason I hesitate when you said would she have gone, she probably would have for this one, because this is his summer, yeah. peak of all peaks. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously something's happened to him. He's now unable to speak. Um, and then Elizabeth, um, we read that she um, conceived and for five months kept herself hidden. Okay. Why? Maybe she was just sitting in the moment. Okay. Most likely that is the answer. Okay. She's not showing. She has no reason to hide. Um, And um, most likely she has gone alone, gone away, or gone to a place to process what God is doing in her womb. Probably praying. And to pray for that child and to. Uh, all the things that um, um, would go through a, a woman's mind. Um, the question, though. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Mary. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. They didn't have, like, home pregnancy tests back then. And she was older, so there wouldn't have been, you know, a reminder on a regular basis. There yeah. was a problem. God, well, she had to be. Okay, let's back up. She had to be premenopausal. Well, she didn't have to be. No, she didn't. No. She didn't have to be. Because it says advanced in age. That, that, right. At least... One cycle had to happen, so because this is not this is not an immaculate conception. It's not a spirit. This is a human-born conception. So at some point, she had a cycle that you know God gave her a cycle, whatever that is. Now you're right; she wouldn't have bled from it, so she wouldn't know. Um, so but she like in her fifties or something. What, what she could have been a hundred. I don't know. Yeah, most likely. Well, the question is: the question is most no. Most likely, she was in her fifties. Okay, how do we know that? Average age. Average age of what? Of how people, how long people lived in that era? Well, priests were retired from serving in the temple, I believe, at age fifty-five. Okay. Okay. So, chances are he married her, and she would be roughly his age, or maybe a little younger. So we're not talking about an eighty-year-old, most likely. the priests had a man. I don't remember the exact age, but they have a mandatory. Well, she was Elizabeth, or Mary's cousin too. So. Mary's cousin, right? How far is Elizabeth's home from Bethlehem? Do we know? 
Sorry. From Bethlehem, Pennsylvania to yeah. uh, Judea, Pennsylvania, yeah. whatever it was. It was nine miles. Yeah. I couldn't ever, I never got there. Okay. <laughs> it turns out that... Um, <laughs> This is going to be important next week, but it turns out that the house of uh, Elizabeth and um, Zechariah is not very far from Bethlehem. Okay, and if you think about it, it can't be very far because he has to go to the temple to do service. Okay, that's going to come up next week. We'll talk about it next week why that's important. Okay, so here we have um, uh, Zechariah can't speak. Um, she says basically, I'm sorry, what? Would she have known how to read or write? Yes, I would think so. Okay. Because so she's of, well, saying, hey, the reason is on. she's of the descent of uh, Aaron and the priestly people, they did a lot of writing. She would have been, my guess of it, yes. Yes, sir. I was, I was just going to ask in that five month period, I'm certain that, well, I'm not certain, but I would get, I would suppose that. Uh, Zachariah had somehow conveyed to Elizabeth the vision that oh, of he course. had seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so for her to hide the baby, uh, m- maybe it was just out of, I don't want people necessarily knowing before it's time. Mm-hmm. Precaution. It's just like a precaution, you know. It's like, do, do, do we, what should we be doing to keep this child right. who's been foretold for ages safe? Right, okay. And uh, we're going to see that at a certain time in her pregnancy, Mary shows up. Mm-hmm. Okay, do we know when that was? Six months. Six months, right? So for the first five months, she goes away. Now she comes back, and as soon as she comes back, essentially, Mary shows up. So we'll learn about that next week. Okay, now what I want to talk about in the last few minutes is I said last week that Luke had a very positive, strong writing for women in the first century, okay? And the role of women and the power of women. Uh, The number of important women in Luke's Gospels is greater than all the women mentioned in all the other Gospels combined, okay? Um, He mentions Elizabeth, Mary, Anna, the widow at Nain, the sinful woman in Luke Luke 7, uh, and... um, Mary, Martha, the crippled woman, the woman who lost the coin, the woman who bothered the judge, the widow who gave all, the woman at the crucifixion, the women to whom Jesus appeared after his resurrection, um, and many other women who get brief mention. Okay, so throughout his text, women play an important role in the ministry of Jesus, and, and he's and he's the one that adds that. I mean, he's the one that gives us that information, yeah. um, and he's a companion of Paul. Okay, and he learned about the role of women from Paul. And people always, like, I had somebody leave our church because they said we, Paul was a chauvinist and we were teaching his letters or something. It was, like, ridiculous. Anyway, um, but um, in Acts, he's going to write about women who are going to prophesy. Uh, he, he's the one that uh, talks about the neglected widows, Dorcas, Lydia, Priscilla, Philip's daughters who prophesy. Uh, and he wasn't necessarily a first-century feminist, but he definitely believed women played a key role in the ministry of Christ and the early church, and he wanted to make sure he documented that. Um, uh, He wants to show, I think, that um, women are the spiritual equals of men. Uh, I think he thought Mary showed greater faith than Zechariah, right, when the angels made the announcement. Uh, Mary, the sister of Martha, sits at Jesus' feet. 
females who travel with Jesus share their possessions with the apostles. Um, and so he also shows incredible plight for, uh, uh, what do you call that? Um, oppressed women, yeah. widows, uh, poor women. Um, um, Luke had a higher view of women than most people in the ancient world at that time. Um, and you see it in his writings. Um, and um, he records Peter in Acts 2.17. He records Peter's citation of Joel 2, uh, where he talks about how spirit has fell on all flesh, including daughters and women. Um, um, he wanted everybody to understand that day had arrived. So um, he's introducing early on themes that are going to be there. The spirit of God, the good news, the power of women in the ministry. Um, and we're going to see that played out over the next week. We want to study next week. So how does what we learn tonight shape the way you see that story of John? What, what is it tonight that stands out to you as, oh, that's interesting. What do you think? What are you going to take from tonight and go, I didn't know that, or I did know that, and wow, that's pretty impressive. Yes? Well, I was just reading, and we talked about how John leaped into the womb, and um, what I noticed was John may have been the spirit baptism in the womb, but mm -hmm. Elizabeth at the same time received the yeah. spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're going to see that next week when we, you know, the evidence of the spirit in the womb, uh, which brings zero question to when God thinks life begins. In case that wants to be up for debate. Um, what else? His, all of his prayers were answered. It, all of his prayers and the prayers of the Old Testament mm -hmm. and every prophet. And every, I mean, mm -hmm. they were praying for two things, well, three things. One, someone like Elijah would come, the Messiah would come, and Israel would be redeemed. All three of those are happening. Right? Mm -hmm. Okay. What else do you find that's interesting? How about the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Hey, that was good. And the prophet. The reason I'm asking this is, it's easy to sit here and like learn this stuff, and then you're going to go away. And sometimes it's good to just sort of go, okay, what what was it that I'm going to take home from this that maybe I didn't know before, and go back and look at again. I never um, noticed that. So go back to Elijah uh, in Malachi and um, just think about what that what that said. Maybe it was the scripture on the cross. Um, you know, my God, my God, why are you feeling? Go back and look at that. Um, uh, but I think it's important to realize that Luke is beginning to open up his gospel in a way that um, you'd think he'd start with Jesus' birth, but he doesn't. He starts with John the Baptist first. Um, and it's the reason is he's the Elijah to come. Um, and later on when you read, you know, Jesus said, I tell you, if you can take it and handle it, Elijah has come. He's, he's the Elijah to come. Um, Is Luke the only one who mentioned that about Elijah? All of these are new. Okay, Luke is the only one that mentions the birth of these two. So yes. Uh -huh. Something that, I, that I've known but is reinforced in this is the 400, 450 years of silence. Uh, you know, when we pray and ask God for things and it's like God isn't answering our prayer, We, we are so weak. 
Mm -hmm. we, we are so weak when you, when you think that for God, 400, 450 years is nothing. Yeah. And it's not that it's nothing. It's just that, that he wants us to learn to wait on him for everything. I think the other thing that's pretty amazing is that four generations at least, probably six generations, never saw God do anything in their lifetime. And yet they're still offering incense and praying at the temple. And, and, and you still had people that were living according to the law in righteousness. Exactly. Um, so I think there's a lot here in this little bitty passage. Um, and I think... Um, you know, there's a lot of comparisons here um, to the way Mary responded to, and the way they responded. Um, and um, there's also kind of this dichotomy. Or I don't know if it's, it's dichotomy. Is the right word. It's um, it's interesting to me that in the midst of one of the most horrific uh, earthly leaders, in a time when God had been silent, He still does His thing. I mean. This is during Herod, um, and yeah, so I think that's interesting. Um, okay, so next week we'll be talking about Jesus and the, the story of Jesus and his birth. Um, and again, these are mentioned in Luke and not in the other Gospels, and the answer question is why? So John... I mean, Matthew starts with the lineage of Jesus, which we'll talk about a little bit. Mark just starts talking about Jesus, right? Uh, John begins with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Luke starts with the birth of these two, right? Why? Because Mary was one of his... He has access to the people that were there, right? He wants to give an orderly account. He wants to put things in the record and get them right. And he talked to Mary, and he talked to Elizabeth, and he likely had firsthand documented evidence of what happened in these stories, and he wanted them written down because they weren't being written down. Okay, remember this stuff happened thirty years before John ever met Jesus, before Matthew even knew who he was. I mean, we're talking about birth here, so. You know, they, they wouldn't have written about it because they weren't there. They didn't know. If anybody was going to write about it, it would be John because Mary was entrusted to him. But by the time John starts writing, he doesn't really care about Jesus' birth. He's trying to show people they miss the Messiah. Right. Uh, and so those details to him aren't really critical for what he's doing. Luke is writing the... I mean, if you wanted to look at the movement of Christianity, it, it's Luke and Acts. If you want to look at the essence of what Christianity means, it's Romans, right? So if you just took those three books and you knew them well, it really opens up a lot for, for you. I mean, those are the three that are kind of out there. Uh, and then John is, John somehow has an incredible, like, everybody's supposed to read John first. Um, he must have had a marketer or somebody that like really pushed his book. <laughs> You know, what book should I read? Read John. Oh, well, John is kind of the prequel to, yeah. to Jesus. I mean, yeah. you know he's special, yeah. but he's not the chosen one. So. Well, he's also an incredible. I mean, he's my favorite writer. Really? I mean, his his writing is just so good. I mean, 
very poetic, very, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, I mean, he's just like, you know, fisherman. I mean, really? Um, amazing. Um, so, yeah. Something, uh, something I've read, and it kind of goes along with, you know, Luke setting the record. 16 and 17, it goes ahead and establishes the, the deity of Christ. 16 and 17, okay, hold on. I've read this elsewhere, but it's, uh, and he will turn many of the children to this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. To okay. the Lord their God. And then in verse 17, which is referencing verse 16, mm-hmm. it says he will also go before capital him. Yeah, in the spirit. Referencing in power of Elijah. God. Yep. So he's going ahead and he, He's the establishing deity. the deity. Yep, that's great. Yep. Um, yeah, so is this helpful? Did we learn a lot? Okay. Um, Thank you. All right, we're at one hour and 41 seconds. <laughs> How's that? Okay, I'm going to turn the recording off.